gold standard. Welcome to the Dr. Hedberg Show for cutting-edge practical health information. For the latest articles, videos, and podcasts, visit drhedberg.com. That's D-R-H-E-D-B-E-R-G.com. The information in this show is intended for educational purposes only. Always consult your healthcare professional before attempting anything recommended in this program. And now, here's Dr. Hedberg. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Dr. Hedberg Show. I'm Dr. Hedberg, and today I'm going to be talking about Epstein-Barr virus and Hashimoto's disease. So this is one of the most common infections I see in my patients with Hashimoto's. And the Epstein-Barr virus, it is a herpes virus, also known as herpes 4. And it has significant connections with Hashimoto's as well as a number of other infections. So let's uh, jump right in and talk about what it is and how you get it and uh, what we can do about it. So how do you get Epstein-Barr? Well, pretty much... Everyone has it in the world. Uh, The stats are about 95% of the world's population has Epstein-Barr virus. And uh, it's transmitted by saliva. Uh, Usually the first time you kiss someone or you're exposed to saliva from another person. And that could happen uh, just sharing a drinking glass or something like that. Um. And the virus, when you first get it, and it usually happens when you're a kid or a teenager, it causes a condition called mononucleosis, also known as mono or the kissing disease. And uh, you can also get it from uh, during sexual intercourse. It's found in semen. It's also found in blood. And you can also get it from a blood transfusion. So... Uh, pretty much, like I said, everybody has it. The question is, is it is it reactivated? And we'll get to that. So the just to go over the quick, uh, the symptoms of mono when you first get it are fatigue, swollen lymph nodes in the neck, sore throat, fever, rash, and you might have an enlarged liver or spleen. That usually lasts two to four weeks, and then your body fights it off. And uh, then the virus is just dormant for life. So it's kind of like the chickenpox virus, which is also a herpes virus. You get chickenpox, your body fights it off, and then it stays dormant for life. However, the chickenpox virus can reactivate and cause a very painful condition called shingles, which usually happens to people who are older, the elderly, or... Uh, We'll see it in middle-aged people who have just been under a tremendous amount of stress and the virus reactivates. So again, the Epstein-Barr should stay deactivated for life, uh, but unfortunately in some people it reactivates and it can cause a lot of problems. Um, And we'll get to some of those in addition to the autoimmune diseases, it can cause a number of other health issues. So one of the things to just to be aware of is that if you've never had mono or feel like you've had it, that doesn't mean that you don't have Epstein-Barr virus. It just means that when you got it, your body's immune system was highly competent at the time, 
and it fought it off, deactivated it, and you just never developed full-blown mononucleosis. You, you can infect other people, no matter how old you are, but that only happens if the virus is reactivated in your body. And some people will have a mono-like illness. Uh, the Epstein-Barr virus testing comes back negative, and that's usually due to another infection. So that could be due to some of the other herpes viruses, like cytomegalovirus, herpes 6, herpes 7, and then also toxoplasmosis, which you can get from cat feces, HIV, or hepatitis B. All of those can kind of mimic mono. So you get the virus and it reactivates as an adult and or as, as uh, teenagers. You could get it very young, say before your teen years, and then it could actually reactivate as a teenager. So can happen any time after you've had it. And it will cause a number of problems uh, depending on the individual and their genetics. But it's heavily connected with autoimmune diseases, especially Hashimoto's disease and uh, other diseases like lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, multiple sclerosis. Almost uh, all of the popular most well-known autoimmune diseases are connected to Epstein-Barr virus. So it will also weaken your immune system when it's reactivated, and that'll make it more difficult to fight other infections. It can cause Bell's palsy, which is a facial nerve palsy, Guillain-Barre syndrome, insomnia, chronic fatigue syndrome is a big one, very strong connection there. Optic neuritis, pneumonia, and just a number of other issues. And then Epstein-Barr is also connected to a few different forms of cancer. Hodgkin's lymphoma, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, nasopharyngeal carcinoma, and Burkitt's lymphoma. So a lot of, a lot of potential issues there when the virus reactivates. So a lot of times we don't know if it's reactivated just based on symptoms because someone might not have any symptoms other than their autoimmune disease, for example. So let's break down the best testing for it. And blood testing is readily available through all of your commercial labs like LabCorp. And let's break down each component. So first we have the viral capsid antigen, and that is the IgM uh, version of that. And if that's positive, that indicates an active infection. And that IgM will stay positive for about four to six weeks. Now one, a couple of important things to note about the viral capsid antigen, IgM, it can the test can cross react with different infections like herpes viruses for example and so you have to take that into account when you see that positive because it could be uh, herpes 1 or herpes 2 or cytomegalovirus for example and then if you're testing someone over 60 uh, those antibodies have been shown to be higher and to elevate in people over the age of 60. So that's also something to be aware of. The next test is the viral capsid antigen IgG, 
So we just talked about the IgM. Now we're talking about IgG. And this is positive in the early stages of the infection. It peaks at about two to four weeks. And then it begins to drop. But it'll stay positive for the rest of your life. The next one is the nuclear antigen, IgG. This is not active in the initial phases of the infection, but it will start to elevate two to four months after EBV infection, and the IgG stays positive for life. And then the last test is the early antigen, IgG, and this is positive in the acute phase of infection, and then it begins to drop for three to six months after infection. If this is positive, then we know that there's an active infection. And this is going to be positive when there's reactivation. So the viral capsid antigen IgG and the nuclear antigen IgG, these are just going to be positive for life. So they're not really helpful, all that helpful um, in our adult patients where we suspect reactivation because we know those are going to be positive. And then the viral capsid antigen IgM, that's only positive during the acute phase, and then it goes away. So it's really the early antigen that we're looking at for reactivation, and that's also what we follow when we're treating the Epstein-Barr to measure our success with this particular virus. Uh, one other thing to note is that in some very rare cases, you can actually have Epstein-Barr infection, but none of the antibodies are present on the blood tests. And this is extremely rare. It's, it's genetic. It's not something that, that you see very often. But all of your antibodies may be negative in very rare cases. Another kind of interesting thing to note is that if, you, if you're very sensitive to mosquito bites, this actually can indicate an active Epstein-Barr virus infection. So that's something interesting to note. And now let's really dig into how we really connect Epstein-Barr virus to Hashimoto's disease. And on the article I have associated with this podcast, I have a link to a uh, research paper by Dr. Michael Pender on how Epstein-Barr virus triggers autoimmunity. So you can check that paper out on the website at drhedberg.com. But I'll just break it down for you here. Basically, Dr. Pender talks about how people with autoimmunity, they lack what are called CD8 T-cells. And these are immune cells that your body uh, releases that attack and destroy the Epstein-Barr virus. Now, people with autoimmunity genetically have very low levels of these immune cells. So genetically, uh, it's much more difficult for people with autoimmunity to fight off the virus and control it. So that's why it reactivates so easily and stays active. The other thing is that if we biopsy the thyroid glands of patients with Hashimoto's disease, we find massive amounts of the Epstein-Barr virus inside the thyroid gland 
And so the body is uh, attacking the Epstein-Barr and making antibodies against it, as well as thyroid tissue. And so you have a lot of inflammation from the immune cells entering the gland, trying to fight off the virus. And then we've also talked in previous shows about molecular mimicry as a potential uh, aspect in triggering autoimmunity. Uh, But Dr. Pender also talks about a few other things like vitamin D deficiency, uh, too much estrogen in the body, and then, of course, the genetic predisposition. So there are a number of things that can prevent your ability to fight off the Epstein-Barr virus. So we just talked about the genetic component and too much estrogen, low vitamin D, and then also having very low ferritin levels. So ferritin is how much iron is stored in your body. And if your ferritin levels are low, then your immune system will be compromised and you won't be able to fight off infections as well. So we have to look at that in the blood work and get the ferritin levels back up. Uh, Hypothyroidism is going to weaken your immune system. Zinc deficiency weakens the immune system. Chronic stress, so we have to look at adrenal function, autonomic nervous system, uh, norepinephrine, epinephrine, the adrenalines, uh, insulin resistance, chronic inflammation. And then we also have to look at the gut because that's 60 to 70% of your immune system. So any kind of gut dysbiosis where the microbiome, the bacteria are out of balance, uh, that could uh, hamper your ability to control it. Or if you have a gut infection, like a parasite, yeast overgrowth, bacterial overgrowth. And then something called protein energy malnutrition can be a factor. And that's just basically insufficient protein intake that weakens the immune system. Uh, Also, if you're overtraining, overexercising, not eating enough protein, not getting adequate recovery, this could also contribute. Insomnia, uh, just not getting enough sleep is going to significantly weaken your immune system. And so we have to look at sleep. And then if you have other stealth infections that are stressing your immune system, these will also hamper your ability to fight off the virus. So this could be other viruses, other herpes viruses, could be Lyme disease, could be H. pylori, could be Yersinia, enterocolitica. Uh, could be the gut infections that I mentioned. So those have to be looked at as well if it looks like it's not just Epstein-Barr. It, it could be other infections. Okay, so let's just talk briefly about the best treatment options for Epstein-Barr. And there are a number of compounds that I use that work well uh, in deactivating the Epstein-Barr virus. The first is monolaurin, and that's an extract from coconut that works well against viruses, also strengthens the immune system. Cordyceps and reishi, those are both mushrooms, very effective for Epstein-Barr. Curcumin, olive leaf extract, artemisinin, which is a compound from wormwood, berberine, vitamin C, especially intravenous vitamin C, and then EGCG, which is epigallocatechin gallate. That's an antioxidant found in green tea. 
So those are some of the real heavy hitters for the Epstein-Barr virus. But as I point out in the article associated with this show, just taking these compounds is not going to be an effective strategy. You can take a bunch of these, one of them or a bunch. Sure, you'll knock out the virus. You might deactivate it. Uh, You might decrease its activity, but it's just going to come back. And that's because if you just simply attack the virus, you haven't done anything to address the reasons why the immune system cannot control the virus. So it'll just reactivate. And that's why a a successful treatment plan involves uh, working on a lot of things at the same time that we do in functional medicine. So we're working on gut health and stress physiology and the thyroid micronutrients, hormone balancing, working on insulin resistance and inflammation, nutrition. So it's every, it has to be a comprehensive program to successfully deactivate and keep the virus deactivated. So I just want to make that very clear. I think a lot of people will read this or listen to this on the internet, and then they'll try taking some of those compounds I mentioned, and they're just not going to get lasting good results. Um, because those other things that I just mentioned have not been dealt with. Now, there are cases where I don't even target the virus and it deactivates, and that's because we've done so well balancing all the other body systems and getting the patient so healthy that their immune system just fights it off and deactivates it. But most of the time, I will directly target it at the same time of the treatment plan. So to summarize, the first thing you want to do is, of course, work with a functional medicine practitioner who's going to properly test you for Epstein-Barr virus reactivation. One of the things I didn't mention is that the really the standard tests leave out the early antigen IgG. So I get these labs that come in all the time from new patients and uh, the previous doctors never checked the early antigen. And so they're just told that it's not active and it was just a past infection. So you've got to get the right testing done first. The second thing is getting the right plan put together so that you can address everything that was causing the weakened immune system. And then, of course, you can target the, the virus directly. So as long as the Epstein-Barr virus is active, there's going to be inflammation in the thyroid gland. You'll see the antibodies just won't come down. Um, And uh, since Hashimoto's is an autoimmune disease, having an active viral infection chronically is a chronic stress to the immune system. And so that just makes the autoimmunity worse. And then a whole host of other problems that this ongoing stress does to the body. of Just having this virus that just won't go away. So I get really great results when we identify uh, Epstein-Barr virus reactivation in Hashimoto's patients. Then we work on it. We get it deactivated. We get the body and the immune system strong enough to keep it deactivated. And then you'll see a nice drop in the antibodies. Sometimes that's the missing link, uh, getting them getting them down. And then you'll also see improvements in 
thyroid numbers because there's less inflammation in the gland. And everything just begins to work better. So this is one of the the main infections that you need to be uh, tested for and and uh, looked at if you do have Hashimoto's disease. It could it could really be the missing link uh, to your Hashimoto's puzzle. All right, so that's Epstein Barr virus and Hashimoto's disease. Again, visit the website drhedberg.com. Uh, to see the article and associated resources and links. All right, this is Dr. Hedberg. Take care, and I will see you at the next show. If you enjoy the Dr. Hedberg Show, you can support it by sharing each episode on your social media channels, like Facebook, and by leaving a review on iTunes. Please visit drhedberg.com. That's D-R-H-E-D-B-E-R-G dot com to access the show notes and resources for today's episode.